Hello, and welcome to Seminole Wrap, a podcast about all things Florida State. I'm Tim Allenball, and today I'm joined by Juan Montavo, Rob Hodges, and Kevin Little from Tomahawk Nation and X's and Knowles. It's today after Miami, and we are still recovering, but we, we do have a little bit of hope to, uh, to share this week. And on a plus note, Florida State did gain an offensive tackle commit, a real live offensive tackle commit. We'll talk to Rob Hodges about what Rod Orr brings to Florida State. We'll also jump into some defensive observations with Kevin Little. All that and more on this week's Seminole Wrap. All right, Juan, let's jump right into it. Um, we were kind of talking a little bit beforehand about Miami, and I kind of said this, and I want to build on it. Last night was defeating in so many ways, but I, I'm, not, I'm not completely down about it because there were some things that I thought that we can take away as some positives. You know, the scripted drive in the first quarter, Florida State has now showed two straight games where when they have time to practice those plays, the coaches are competent enough to put together some successful offense. You know, they still need some more install time. But then the, the thing that really stood out to me on offense was that third quarter offense um, before, uh, b- before Jordan Travis went down with his injury. It was really clicking uh, when they were bringing him in and running some different offenses. They were letting him throw a little bit. Uh, James was actually seemed like he had settled down. And I know that was still Miami's first team defense, but – they may have taken their foot off the throttle slightly, but Florida State was executing. And, and there were times last year that once Florida State was down, there was no execution on offense at all. Yeah, I mean, this didn't look like, the, you know, your, your Willie Taggart quit games. Um, you know, they, they, they continued to, to, to at least attempt stuff out there. Um, and it, like you said, in the third quarter, I think you saw quite a bit of creativity come from 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 Norvell and Dillingham you know not directly from Norvell obviously um he, he was watching from behind a tv just like all of us but um I mean you really saw some creativity there that you hadn't seen yet um and I think that's probably something that they had a chance to install in the bye week some things that I have in my notes um they and I think that this one in particular is something that you could scout Miami and you could see all right unbalanced sets which means you're going to have like four receivers or four four of your your uh, skill players to one side and Miami is not going to align to that so you're going to run to that or throw to that because you're just going to have numbers there we saw some of that and they were able to execute um they they sort of kept two formations when they were playing with with Jordan Travis they did like a, a closed nub end tight end which means that there's no, no one outside of the tight end and trips on the other side and then the other one that they went with was a two by two, two receivers on each side of the ball stacks. And they were able to use those stack releases to get guys, you know, off the ball. They were able to get some screens there. So there were some positives to take away, not just in terms of, you know, the execution, because it was, it was there for part, for that time in the game, but also what they were trying to do. Um, you know, there, there, there's more creativity and, and diversity in this offense than what we saw against Georgia Tech and what we saw through, you know, the, the last three drives of the second half of the Miami – or the first half of the, of the game. So, I mean, there's definite positives to take away, and I would even go to far, as far to say as the execution along the O-line. Um, Bavion Johnson obviously 
did not have a great game in terms of, you know, multiple uh, false start penalties. Uh, but Maurice Smith, I think, had one penalty on the night, if I recall, and maybe one or two whiffs. But other than that, I mean, he, he's the guy – we'll talk about this later with Rob. But that's a guy – that's the future of your program on, the, on that offensive line. He's the center for the next three, four years. Maybe maybe five if they play it right. <laughs> so uh, there's there's some some serious optimism that you, that can be had. Uh, obviously, it was a very poor result. One that it will go down as one of the, the worst games in that rivalry's history, and you know one of the bigger you know disappointments in Florida State history. Um, but you gotta you gotta look at at the future at this point, and there's some positives for the future. Yeah, you kind of spoke to the creativity there a little bit. You know, sometimes I think about last year and even the year before. Uh, Bryles at times – now, Bryles super creative, super great offensive mind, but there were at times where he was – he had his plays he was going to run, and he was going to run them whether they worked or not. And um, so it's good to see that the, the coaching staff this year is being uh, adaptive and willing to move away like I mean we're seeing that if they're not having success with Blackman they brought in Travis and and we saw Travis's plays expand this this uh this game and I think we maybe would have seen even a little bit more if he if he hadn't gotten hurt at that time yeah I mean the the first drive was a great example of that obviously it's a scripted drive and drive over game you're going to be seeing plays that are designed for it. But I think it was the first play from scrimmage that Travis got the ball on a jet sweep. Um, and then there was a few other uh, uh, plays on that drive where he, he was set up as a receiver. You know, uh, he, he sat back like a receiver on a bubble screen. He motioned into the backfield and they did some, some read option type plays with him as a running back. So, I mean, you saw some creativity from these guys. I mean, they're, they, they tried to, you know that it really felt like the game was over when Miami scored that second touchdown. But before that, I mean, you know, that, that first drive Florida state looked quite good. Um, and then the second drive sort of it started going downhill. Yeah. You know, like I feel like the offense and I could just be a homer here and that's fine. You know, everybody gets accused of that sometimes. I feel like the offense is on the cusp of, of really finding their footing and just being a, a average solid offense. And, and we might see that, um, you, know, you know, against Jacksonville State this upcoming week if we start seeing uh, Tate Rodemaker and Chubba Purdy get a lot more snaps. And, I mean, the schedule's a, a gauntlet, you know, for the next few with North Carolina and Notre Dame. But if, if we just start seeing competency from the offense, I think we're right on the cusp of that. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think that one of the biggest factors in that is going to be sort of pulling out those players who weren't, who don't show full investment into the program. Um, Tamori and Terry, you know, he, it was pretty infamous at this point. He got into it with Ron Dugans on the sideline. Um, there's all sorts of rumors about his injury status, that sort of thing, not getting into that. Um, but, you know, the, 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 the guys that you saw later in the game, Ja'Kai Douglas, um, you know, he Lawrence Tofili. The more and more that you see of those guys through the year, I think the better the offense is going to start looking, even if it's just in fits and starts. I mean, look, the offensive line, it was not as bad as Blackman made them look. Um, James Blackman probably isn't going to play a lot more meaningful snacks for this team, in my opinion. Uh, I think that, you know, they're, they're now at a point in the season and in the program's uh, 
progress, but they've got to look to the future. Um, Norvell had some quotes from Saturday night that sort of indicated that as well. And I think, you know, uh, I, I think the, the era, era of James Blackman is over and a lot of people do want to focus on the quarterback position, but you know, they were bad across the board. You know, I don't think anybody, any, any single position group would get above a, a C if you were to give them a grade. So um, I think the, the positive from the offense though, is that you've got some talent there. You've got some players who are invested and you've got obviously, you know, some reinforcements coming in for the offensive line, but it's not as bad as it was one year ago or two years ago. I mean, it's, 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 it's better than, than, than what it was. And, and we can kind of focus on this and then we'll jump into our interview with Kevin. Uh, Toa Feely really flashed, you know, really stood out. Um, even when he was going against the Miami ones, uh, but then, you know, really stood out in, in the, in the garbage time, which it is garbage time. Ja'Kai Douglas, I know he missed that block at the end when uh, Florida State was right on the end zone. But you, you saw him when he gets the ball in his hands. He's got some elusiveness. He's got some ability. Um, Kentron Portier caught a, caught a couple passes, which was, was great to see. I think he was already the second leading receiver yards-wise in the game, just paying, playing like, you know, those 15 snaps or whatever. And, and you know, and then Tate Rotomaker comes in. I know he throws that interception. But the scramble uh, and throw there was, was a really good play by him. And then the back shoulder throw to the Portier that got them down um, in the red zone, both were really good plays by a true freshman quarterback that uh, many just expected, myself included, that he would be automatically behind Purdy. And he may still be with the injury, but uh, he wouldn't see significant time at all this year. That, that throw, that, the back shoulder throw that you're referencing to Portier on the right sideline, that throw alone shows a pretty that, – that kid's got a high ceiling. Um, you know, he's got a long way to go in terms of learning the offense, as all the quarterbacks do at this point, given how early it is. Um, but, you know, there's – that was one of the serious positives. I mean, you know, that's – oh, okay, wait a minute. That's that's a throw that we haven't seen James Blackman make in his college career. Um, or Jordan Travis, who, you know, obviously uh, he's known more as a runner. But, you know, that's not a throw that we've seen either of those guys make. And I think – Tate Rodemaker is a guy that Chubba Purdy got all the accolades, but Tate was, you know, he put up record type number, numbers, yeah, yeah. video game numbers in six, a Georgia ball playing at Valdosta. I mean, he's no slouch coach's son. He comes in probably a little bit higher level of football IQ than the average quarterback recruit because of that. But no, that's a kid that, you know, that, that second team offense that was running towards the end of the game, those are guys for your future. And I think that you have some serious potential there with the guys you're talking about, Ja'Kai Douglas, Kentron Poitier, Lawrence Toafili, Cameron McDonald is one of the highlights there. I mean, he's going to be your starting tight end for the next three years. They've got to get him in the offense more. Oh, they, they did a good job of that, especially in the second half coming out, coming out of the half. They did a really good job trying to scheme. I think there were two tight end screens. Um, there was a one drag that he caught. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, I think that post in the end zone that was thrown. Um, there was a few, there was a few attempts to get him the ball. They, they know that they want to get the ball in Cam McDonald's hands because he's just a matchup nightmare. And he was one of the guys I had listed as my positives for this game. Um, as well as Lawrence Tofili. I mean, he's a guy that, but the, there you go. I mean, you're talking right there. You've got four skill players. You only need one more from that full group there to emerge, to have a, a, a set of guys that you can, sort of sort of run out as your your future crew for lack of a better way to put it yeah uh, 
one area that's probably not a positive was the defense as a whole. Um, really, really struggled and, and probably put the offense in a, in a really quick bind where there's maybe some plays or, or things they wanted to do where they couldn't because they were playing from behind so quickly. Um, Kevin and I are really going to dive into the defense and talk about what's wrong, uh, talk about uh, is there an opportunity to fix it. We're going to go by um, position group by position group and, and really dive into that. And I have to tell you, I, we, we recorded it earlier, and I like to think of myself as a layman fan. Uh, like I'm not an X's and O's guy and a team guy. Kevin really brought some great information that was super, super informative. And as soon as he said it, I'm like, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, like, yes, I'm screaming that at my TV every week. Why is that happening? Uh, and he really breaks that down. So I'm really excited about what Kevin's going to bring. And Juan, thanks so much for jumping on uh, early on. And uh, let's go ahead and kick it over to Kevin Little. At this time, we're joined by Kevin Little from the X's and Knowles YouTube channel and the Four Verticals uh, Tomahawk Nation article. So, Kevin, thanks so much for joining us again, unfortunately, following another Florida State loss. Yeah, this is a short turnaround for me. This is twice in one week, so uh, <laughs> I'm back again, I guess. Well, I, I promise to have you on if we win also, just so you're not just a loser <laughs> guest. I might not be this year then. <laughs> it, it's going to be a long season. But, uh, you know, over the last couple times we've talked, we really have focused on the offensive side of the ball with Florida State. We've talked James Blackman. We've talked about Jordan Travis. You know, when we could see the, the, the younger quarterbacks, we've really focused on what the offense could improve. But I really have to ask this question as I see myself a little bit of the, of the fan base that's not huge on, X, on X's and O's. What is wrong with this defense? Um, where do I get, begin? Uh, I was talking to some guys this morning, and out of our starting lineup, we, I think we agreed that seven out of the 11 of them are liabilities to have on the field at any one point in time. So. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> So let's start there. What is the number one issue? Is it personnel? So I, I would argue that the number one issue isn't necessarily the kids that we have. It's the fact that this is what you're asking for when you have three head coaches in four years. Uh, when people want to tagger it out so quickly, this is a byproduct of it, and this is something you have to live with. The, these kids, I mean, imagine going to high school and – your class changed locations every single day. Like it'd be hard to learn, right? It'd be hard to focus. And so when these kids are out there and they're juniors and seniors and they've had three, four different defensive coordinators, of course they're going to be slow to learn. Of course that their instincts are going to be slow. And that's what you see a lot of times our linebackers either trigger too slowly or too quickly. Like they're, they're not, they don't look like they know what they're doing. Which is discouraging because you look across the names on the defense and they're talented, they're talented kids. They're kids that came in highly ranked. They're kids that have came in with a, with a lot of uh, hope. And it, it really is showing that these guys are either, you know, maybe they're hearing in their head a Harlan Barnett or, or whoever else, you know, trying to tell them to do something. And then they're thinking Adam Fuller and, and it's just, they're almost just having like this mental overload on the field. Yep, that's exactly what you see, especially in coverage. 
uh, I guess kind of talk, if you could kind of speak to that a little bit, like maybe give a specific example. I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot there, so I apologize. Like something you see that's happening in the game that definitely is a sign that these kids are just overthinking it. Um, so I think when you want to summarize the problems with FSU's defense right now, you can look at the way that Fuller does his defense is the people on the short side of the field will always be on the short side of the field, no matter what down, what, where we are in the field. The guys over on that side will always be on that side. So some people do it based off strength of formation, but he does it based off of side of the field. And right now we don't have an answer at boundary corner. And our weak side linebacker, who's on the same side of the field, we don't have a good answer for either. So um, in any sort of third or fourth and medium situation, we're one of the worst teams in the country so far through two games. And it's because that short side of the field, the corners can't man coverage very effectively and the will linebackers can't get underneath and help. They're just too slow. They're not, they're in spot drop coverage. They look slow and lost and man coverage. It looks the same. So, so if I'm understanding you correctly, short side of the field is going to be the easier throw for the quarterback. Right. Because it's, it's a, it's a shorter distance. They can throw it quicker. They can, you know, cover a, a shorter amount of ground and a little amount, little amount of time. So in Florida State's defense, that's usually Jerry and Jones. Yeah, it's Jerry and Jones, Akeem Dent is usually lined up over there. And who's the linebacker on that side typically? Uh, so we saw some Jaleel, Jaleel McCray uh, this past Saturday. Um, he was the one that played a lot. They In the second half, they uh, went back and put, yeah, Emmett Rice, and he's no better. So, <laughs> so I mean, that's that's discouraging. I mean, especially when you saw uh, Travis Jay go out on crutches. We still haven't yep. seen Nico Dotson for, for whatever reasons going on there. Yeah, so we're giving easy throws easily. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that, you know that uh, that answers like a question in my head that I wasn't going to ask, but it's such a frustrating thing to see during the games because it's like that throw is always there, and yep. you're just like as a Florida State fan, you're like, all right, we got him in third and down again. But I'm not, I'm not a numbers guy. I'm sure Juan or somebody may pick this up later on in the in the show we have to be the worst in the nation giving up third down conversions. Uh, yeah. I, I think I saw a stat that we're top, top five, at least. <laughs> <laughs> so how much of this is install? Like I know we, we talk about short time period of doing practices, no spring practice. How much is this is that they just haven't had the practices and how much of it is what you said earlier. It's personnel. I think they kind of tie in together. I think there's, Part of it that more reps would definitely help, and you're going to see a difference between how our linebackers play this year and next year uh, because you have to because I don't think they can play any worse. <laughs> and the the personnel, I, I don't think that there's a talent issue with the personnel. Like you see Emmett Rice or J I mean Jaleel McRae looks like he can play linebacker, right? You You see that kid and you're like, man, that kid can play the position, but he can't, and it's because of his head. It's because he doesn't know where to be. It's because he's uncertain. And I think a full spring definitely would have helped in hindsight. But uh, I, again, I, I think it's a continuity problem more than it's a, like a coaching fault or a personnel 
inability, in my opinion. So what's the disadvantage if Florida State went to like a a man coverage, like almost full time versus using zone coverage? So we did a lot, actually. Um, There's a fourth and three in the first quarter. It might have been on the first drive where... Emmett Rice is manned up on their running back out of the backfield and they get an easy completion. You know, like there's, you can't hide your linebackers in today's game. You just can't, right? If, if you go into man in an RPO game, the linebackers get sucked up and now it's one-on-one with a wide receiver on Jerry and Jones in the boundary. And he's not shown that he can defend anybody except for he looked pretty good against Miami's third string at the end there. So. <laughs> So I guess what you're saying is that Florida State is trying to uh, cover up their deficiencies in zone by going to a man situation, but Florida State, either those players have, like you said, are so much in their head that they can't figure out even in a man situation where they're supposed to be, or maybe they're just not the right, the right player to, to be playing in that man situation. Like maybe Emmett Rice is his – you know, his, his pros are not that he can cover the guy out of the backfield. Yeah. It's not his strength. Um, you know, and it's easy, it's easy to spring people open against man. People think that man is some secret to success, but it takes a lot and it's a very hit or miss defense. And so if you're trying to limit a team, a lot of times man, isn't the best way. It's easy to run a little rub route and get a guy open. Right. Um, they, no, yeah, if it was that easy, everybody would do it. Right. <laughs> right. I, I guess I'm just, you know, I, I am, I'm thinking Florida State got the athletes or they should have the athletes. If, they should. <laughs> if, if they're struggling in their zone coverage, cause there seems to be a lot of, uh, a lot of open gaps or, uh, spaces where quarterbacks can easily fit a window. But, uh, I think you just kind of <laughs> destroyed that hope as well with, uh, with those examples there. Yeah. And, but I would say that the man definitely looks better than our zone. Our zone looks about as bad as I've seen. Like, you know, you'd expect a JV team to walk out there and be able to do what they're doing in zone coverage, which is stand in place, you know? So the man is an improvement, but it's not a cure at all. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so let's let's start right there with the secondary. I, I want to kind of go position group by position group, and then get you out of here because I I know I, I put you on the spot here this morning. So let's start with the secondary. What are the main problems with the secondary? Uh, so one main problem is you you have to expect that Buck safety to be able to fill in and help in the running game, and that's usually Jaden Lars would be and. He's not doing that. Uh, so that's a big red flag. This guy that's supposed to be a four or five star. Mm-hmm. Now that he's not injured, he's been injured for a lot of his career here. He's still not looking very good. Um, again, the boundary corner, we don't have an answer whether it's Jerry and Jones or Akeem Dent. If I was the defensive coordinator, I would consider putting Asante Samuel at the boundary side corner. Because if you're going to give an easy throw, so if you've got to put Akeem Dent or Jarian Jones somewhere, make it the longest throw. Uh, but there might be some questions to whether or not Asante Samuel can tackle. Actually, you did see a little bit more Asante Samuel in the, uh, in the boundary this game, which was good, exciting. He made 
a third down tackle that was really important. And outside of that, uh, Gainer's a good buck, like buck linebacker, or sorry, I guess we're calling him stud or whatever you want to call him, strong side linebacker. Right. Uh, but he doesn't exactly have the speed you'd want for someone that will potentially have to cover slot receivers. Uh, I think his position at the next level, if he's going to play there, will probably be as like a 3-4 outside linebacker where he'd have a lot more pass rushing responsibilities than he does currently. Is is Hamsa the answer there? So Hamsa, I think, would probably be the answer at buck safety as someone that can come in there. Um, and maybe Jaden looks more natural at strong side so you can move gainer to defensive end so maybe you can get a whole little shuffle downwards um but hamsa usually plays that free safety so i which is the other safety out besides Jaden lars would be but no one expected would be to look this bad yeah i guess i'm just thinking run support you know hamsa is a is somebody that is not afraid to uh, to, to come down and provide that in the past, you know, hopefully the injury doesn't set him back there too much when he comes yeah. back. And so I'm just thinking, you know, who's got the speed to come up there and be that, that run filler. Yeah, it's probably him. And I, I think we'll probably see him at buck on that weak side. And that should, if we get him and Miko Dotson back, that boundary side, all of a sudden got a lot tougher to throw into. Um. What's the success? Where is the success that exists in the secondary? I mean, you got to look at Asante Samuel, right? Like, he's actually a legit cornerback that's going to be playing on Sundays, and he's he's good. Like he's so good that they don't throw it to him. Right. I, I there was a, there were at times against Miami there was a noticeable Asante Samuel void, in that he just wasn't showing up in plays, and that's because. They weren't throwing at him at all. And then it seemed like when they did, uh, I, I felt like he tackled better this game. I may be wrong going when I do a rewatch, which I haven't had a chance to do. I'm not sure I want to. But um, <laughs> I felt like when he was involved in the play, he was doing all the right things. Yeah, no, he, him and Gaynor have really been the bright spots of this defense. And you expected them to look okay. But as of now, they look like they could – play for almost any team in the country and then everybody outside of them looks like they probably wouldn't play for anybody else in the country and then you got the defensive line who's we'll playing like an average defense yeah <laughs> all right um let's go to linebackers let's okay. just work from the back the back to the front uh what are the problems at linebacker uh the problems are that they are slow they they don't trigger uh, that they trigger to the wrong gaps a lot of times. So um, what you watch for King, and he could potentially pull the ball on some zone reads or read options, whatever you want to call them. And we have Gainer, who's our outside linebacker, and our Mike linebacker, who's usually Stephen Dix, both flowing outside, leaving the inside zone wide open. And it's like, they don't know where to be. They don't know what they're doing. Because I doubt that Fuller's saying, hey, guys, let's put two people on King and zero people for the running back, right? So, um, That description right there, is that why we saw Harris just bust through the, the initial line and then there would be nobody there to tackle him? Yes, exactly. That's, that <laughs> happened several times. Like, they were so worried about 
uh, King getting the ball on the read option, and it's like, uh, let's be fair, King's good, but he's not better than Cameron Harris when he's got the ball in his hands. There's a reason he's the running back, right? Right. That's uh, that is that is so perfectly illustrated there. Uh, if you go back and watch to rewatch it all, there are times where Cameron Harris gets through that initial offensive defensive line, you know, tussle. And it's almost like he hesitates because he's got such wide open space. He doesn't know which way to go. Yep. And Steven Dix, I, I say that about him and he's young. He's a freshman. He wasn't super highly recruited. He's a guy that Norvell found and brought in and he looks okay. There are some flashes of real, like, like this dude's built like a middle linebacker. He has potential. He's shown flashes where he triggers and he looks like he's knowing, he knows where to be. But for a majority of the time, the, the spread offenses nowadays are built on being able to put linebackers in positions where they cannot be successful, right? That's what an RPO is. It says this linebacker can either stop the run or he can stop the pass, but he can't stop either. And right now, a lot of times, our linebackers as a whole, Stephen Dix included, aren't stopping either and it doesn't matter if it's an rpo (laughs) very well said the the goal of the rpo is you can't stop both our linebackers can't stop any yes beautiful okay any any other problems from the linebacker position you want to highlight yeah i mean the weak side linebacker we don't have an answer there i my personal thought is to bring someone down there that's probably more of a safety um, to give more speed to that position because it's not like we're getting any tackling out of it anyway. So might as well have someone that is a little bit quicker and kind of can help that boundary corner on inside breaking routes. You saw several times Miami would just run slants from the boundary. Um, So the, the cornerback looks really bad in that position but he's supposed to funnel people towards the middle because he's supposed to have help by that weak side linebacker. And that weak side linebacker, who's Jaleel McRae, usually didn't give him any help. So it's like they're not good enough to be able to take away the inside and the outside. So they take away the outside, hoping the linebacker can take away the inside, and he can't. I mean, typical defensive mindset is you want to push everything to the inside because that's where your help should be. Um, you know, from right. the defensive end or, you know, from that boundary corner, but there's no help right now. Besides Gainer, is there anybody else you'd like to see step up into that? You know, who's who else from Florida State could fill that role? I mean, we just got to see a youth movement. People that haven't had, like Emmett Rice has had years of different, I wouldn't say bad. I don't think necessarily any of these coaches are bad and giving bad advice to these players, but it's different, right? If you get told how to do math, if you get told how to do algebra three different ways, it's going to be confusing. You're not going to know what to do. And so you see these older guys just get lost in the just probably years worth of different opinions on how they should be playing their position. And so you'll, you actually see the younger players when they come in, look a little bit freer, look a little bit more loose and ready to play. And so like someone like Kalen Deloach, might be someone to look for in the future. Um, he had a few flashes I, last night, yeah. Yeah, but I, I don't know if there's an answer. <laughs> right. 
Um, where's this, where are, what are the positives with the linebacking core right now? Yeah, so the positives are Stephen Dix sometimes looks really good. Uh, he sometimes fills gaps well, and he sometimes is um, making good plays. And then Gaynor looks good most of the time. He's really good in run support at that stud position. And uh, he just looks like a beast, you know. <laughs> he looks like someone from 2013 Florida State, you know, with his... his I've been very impressed with his speed. The yes. closing speed, you know. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, I don't have anything nice to say about the weak side linebackers. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Okay. Let's go to the defensive line, which, you know, our, our, our podcast, our site, just as guilty as everybody else on the Florida State beat, thought that Florida State's defensive line would be one of the best in the, in the conference for sure, and maybe even in discussions with best in the country. So far, <laughs> it, is, it is not at all. Uh, let's start with, with defensive ends where what's wrong with the defensive end position? I mean, obviously Joshua Kando's injury is, is probably the biggest factor, but what else? Yeah. I mean, Kando, even when he's in though, isn't looking like you'd expect a five-star, what junior or senior, however old he is. Redshirt junior. Yeah. Um, and behind him, we have no one, right? We have like Derek McClendon and uh, old big country, Josh Griffiths, you know, but Josh Griffiths isn't big enough right now to be able to be a power defensive end, and he's not really quick enough to be a finesse defensive end. He's good enough to service, and uh, Janarius Robinson looks like he would be better than he is, I think is the problem with him. <laughs> um, but the thing I saw from our defensive line last last night was they – stalemated Miami's offensive line. It's like they would they they didn't shed blocks. They they didn't get downfield. There was no pass rush. And Miami did a good job of getting the ball out quickly mostly because virtually no one is defending the boundary side of the field, but uh you still need some sort of pressure on there. I think that the defensive line last night was being a little bit more conservative to keep King from rushing, um, from scrambling around, but the, it's mostly there's so little of an answer at defensive end, and the defensive tackles can only do so much in pass passing downs, right? Sure. You don't expect defensive tackles to load up sack numbers, mm -hmm. that it just makes the whole defensive line look really bad. So I would say defensive end is one of the areas where you could really point to personnel more than uh, yes. pass coaching and other things like that. There's just no depth there at all. Yeah, way more so than linebacker. Linebacker, we have kids. They just don't know what to do. Uh, defensive end, we literally don't have anybody that's able to play there. That's, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> is, there, is there any positives to speak to on the defensive end position? Uh, not much that I saw. Uh, we didn't see any any spilled runs like we did week one where there was just no one on the outside, uh, no one to keep contained. 
Uh, I think that the defensive line as a unit looks about average right now. Like, mm-hmm. and by average, I mean 60th out of 120 teams. Yeah. But our, our linebackers look so bad that they're not doing them any favors. Right. So even if the defensive line's doing their responsibility and filling the gap that they're supposed to, if the linebackers aren't then filling the now open right. gap, it just makes the defensive line look even worse. Yeah, let me paint the picture for you. You got <laughs> oftentimes Miami's running with six blockers, right? You got five down linemen and a tight end. You only have three. Uh, this game, we only had three defensive linemen because we wanted extra speed on the field. But usually you have four defensive linemen. Mm-hmm. So you have six people to block four people. And our linebackers are blocking themselves by just standing around doing nothing. So, you know, there's... You, there's only so much they can do. You know, Big Marv's not going to break double teams every play to make a tackle on the backfield. <laughs> Let's talk about Big Marv and the, and the defensive tackles. I thought Marv looked better this game. He did. Um, and I thought he was playing with a lot more uh, speed and e- emotion. It was unfortunate. I don't think his, in, his targeting was him intending to have a targeting. He was, he's a, a massive man making a dive and, and the guy just lowers his head and it's, just kind of an unfortunate bang bang targeting call, but um, I thought Durden at times was playing a lot better. It looked like Cooper may have injured his hand. I know he came mm-hmm. back in wrapped up there. Uh, defensive tackles, what were the problems there? I know it, it's kind of hard with with a two game small sample size to really probably look and see where their issues are. But anything that sticks out as a problem, so. My biggest problem with our defensive tackles is that they are not the build of defensive tackle you want to complement our lack of talent at defensive end. Explain that, if you don't mind. So, like Robert Cooper, Marvin Wilson, Corey Durden, these are guys that are whole plugging guys, right? They're big. I mean, Marvin's a little different because he's fast enough to be able to pass rush on top of that but in general these are bigger guys that are there to stop into your runs and really just plug the holes the defensive ends aren't getting any pass rush because they're just not talented enough or they haven't they're not skilled enough to be able to do it right now and so you just end up having a whole defensive line that's stalemated with the offensive line right so that's the best that ends up happening and usually what you want is to compliment someone like Robert or Robert Cooper, Corey Durden, or Marvin Wilson. You want these dominant pass rushers who can kind of funnel people back into the middle where Robert Cooper and Corey Durden and uh, Marvin Wilson are just sitting there waiting for them because they've won their matchups. And right now it's just, it's just stalemating where we have no one that can penetrate the offensive line. Is there a type of defensive tackle that complements Florida State's defensive ends as they currently are? I mean, yeah, you can look. I mean, this isn't a fair comparison because Miami has good defensive ends. But, you know, Miami tends to get lighter defensive tackles that really jump the gaps and and shoot the gaps. And it's, it's a higher risk, higher reward kind of defensive style that you almost need to have if you're not going to be plugging gaps with your linebackers or if you're not going to get a pass rush with your defensive ends. 
And I'm not sure Florida State has any of those on their roster. No, no <laughs> we don't. <laughs> is 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 some of that the result of last year's focus on trying to go three four and who they were recruiting like that previous cycle, or is this this is just kind of a, a perfect perfect storm? I think it's just I think it's just a perfect storm of you bring in Kane Doe and Marvin Wilson, and you think these guys are going to complement each other really well, and then Kane Doe just is injured. Mm-hmm. pretty much consistently and so it just never comes together robinson never shows up like you expect him to and it's it's hard to get elite pass rushers i think you kind of highlighted a little bit there with the the ability for them to plug holes but any other positives at the defensive tackle position you would want to speak to i think our defensive tackles are making our linebackers jobs easier than they could be <laughs> which is sad seeing how poorly our linebackers play. I think it's easy to see rushing yards and put that on the defensive line, but it's, there's a lot more to it. Fair enough. One last question. Uh, the perfect fix for Florida State's defense is? Uh, three years of time. <laughs> Kevin, it's always a pleasure. I, I, yeah. I, I enjoy jumping on with you. Uh, we kind of had to record a little bit out of order. So Juan wasn't able to be here with us this week. And and so I had some uh, personal family things to take care of. So I appreciate you jumping on early with me. You know, there's things about the defense I'm excited about. Like, I think there are, there is potential. Oh, definitely. uh, For this team. And I am curious if Hamza shows up, if that allows Florida State to put Gaynor in a position where he can definitely stand out and, and have the ability to make plays. And I'm, I'm really going to focus on uh, the, the boundary corner now that you've really brought that up. Yeah, watch the short side of the field. It's where we get hurt most often. <laughs> so, no, this was really fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, for more from Kevin, he'll be on with the Four, Vert, the Four Verts articles later this week. He'll also have a, an X's and Nulls segment, I'm sure, at some point. Uh, go to his YouTube channel. Go to his Twitter account. Uh, leave him some positive comments. He, he works so hard. So thanks so much, Kevin. Yep, thank you. Thanks so much to Kevin Little. Check him out on X's and Nulls on YouTube and everywhere else. Uh, great information there. Uh, but hey, guess what? Guess what? Great news. We're going to end the podcast with some great news. Florida State received a commitment this past week from a four-star offensive tackle, a legitimate offensive tackle, not a guy that's in between, not a guy that could be playing guard or center. He is a tackle. And uh, Juan, I don't know about you, but it's one of those situations where I don't know what to do with myself right now. Yeah, I don't know what to do with my hands. No, he's a, you know, we're going to talk about it with Rob, but I mean, he's, go watch his huddle. He's a kid who, uh, who's got a lot of athleticism and he's, he deserves that blue chip ranking. And I'm very happy that Florida state has a blue chip offensive tackle committed for the first time in what seems like years. <laughs> I think maybe Charles cross was the last, the one that stayed con- that committed, but he didn't stay. Unfortunately. I don't know who that is. <laughs> I didn't watch it. I didn't watch the LSU game. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to bring on Rob Hodges from Tomahawk Nation. We're going to go a little more into his background, but at this time, let's go ahead and kick over to that interview. All right. At this time, we are joined by Tomahawk Nation's Rob Hodges. Rob, how are you doing today? 
I'm doing good. I'm here in uh, rainy Jacksonville, uh, uh, a little dour after perhaps last night's performance, but uh, it's going to cool off, so I'm going to enjoy that. That's great. Uh, Rob, I, I really appreciate you jumping on with us. Uh, for those that may not be familiar with you, Rob, uh, you have been at Tomahawk Nation longer than I have, longer than probably most of our contributors. Just give me a, a quick little background of your time here at Tomahawk Nation. Yeah, so uh, right around 2008, 2009, um, when Bud kind of switched over from the blog to Tomahawk Nation, uh, Bud LA, I just kind of found this site. I think it was literally through another site, perhaps a subscription-based site. Uh, <laughs> somebody referenced something, and I was like, well, let me go take a look. And um, little did I know that uh, my first post would be uh, singled out. Bud actually contacted me, and he was like, hey, uh, do you want to write about um, the flex bone. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I probably should. And I don't know a whole lot about it, but um, yeah, because the question I had was like, how the heck are we going to defend this? And back in 2008, 2009, I really don't think our staff had an idea of how to defend it. So, I mean, if you remember like back in the day, Bud Thacker or, and other defensive tackles just trying to submarine like A-gaps in an effort to, I don't know, disrupt the B-gap run. I don't even understand the gap integrity behind that approach. But anyways, I had questions and Bud said, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's write about that. So yeah, that, I've been here since uh, 08, 09. Uh, I've accumulated a few kids as I've gone. And uh, so it's kind of cut into what used to be kind of my catharsis during grad school, which was writing uh, quite a bit more. But I uh, like to stay on, stay contributing and uh, really enjoy the community there. And obviously the, the writers are super talented and thinking about stuff I think other groups aren't. And so this is just kind of an opportunity to kind of flesh the, that out now on a, on a podcast. Rob, it, you're somebody that I've, I've always looked to to talk about line play, whether on offense or defense. I, I know it's something you kind of, you dabbled in in high school and uh, you've, you've got a, a lot of good insight there. So I, I'm glad you're on today because like breaking news, sound the alarms, <laughs> Florida State has received the commitment from a four-star offensive tackle. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Did you have a heart attack? I, I was, um, uh, I knew we were on him, but I, I don't know. Expectations are a little difficult to like, it's hard to be hopeful right now. Just, you know, kind of being straight up. Uh, but to hear that, that somebody who's literally an offensive tackle, not just kind of a projectable interior guy, but somebody who has that skill set to really line up as the in man online and go against some of the freakier college athletes was interested in us. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was extremely happy and uh, decided to catch up really quickly back to what our recruiting looks like and uh, what this guy looks like as a recruit. <laughs> yeah. So to catch everybody up in case they haven't heard Rod Orr, four star offensive tackle, uh, the first four star or higher offensive tackle to commit to Florida state since 2000. Well, not to commit, but, if he sticks, he'll be the first one to sign with Florida State since 2016's Landon Dickerson. So it's been a while, but he's out of Gadsden, Alabama, Gadsden City. Uh, he's 6'7", 296. He looks the part. Uh, it, it's, he's somebody to get excited about. I, I know there's been some other talk on other podcasts about him, and a, a lot of people are excited to see what he can do at Florida State. So I, uh, I reached out to you a few days ago and I said, hey, Rob, can you, can you check out his huddle film? Can you let me know your thoughts? And uh, you, you, of course, obliged and I'm very appreciative. So you've checked him out. What's your first initial thoughts after seeing Rod's film? 
my first thought is that this is the guy when you're um, for reference, not a coach, but if I was a coach, I would like, I would be busting down my door to talk to this kid because this is the classic. One of the things people always try to like talk about is like dual sport athletes and they love seeing guys who have skills and size uh, and the athleticism to play and participate in other sport come into kind of the football arena and contribute and, that's what you get with this guy. This kid is springy. And when I say springy, this dude, he's actually a little higher cut, right? Like he's got a little higher waist than kind of the traditional, you know, offensive lineman set, which is usually a lower waisted, right? Kind of person, somebody who doesn't necessarily need to bend as much, therefore, to kind of get down in their set, to execute a block, to keep their balance. Uh, but this kid's actually high cut. But just even without that, or despite that, he has body control for a kid literally six seven and over 280 and that is so rare because most guys at that size and at this age and also only playing football for a few years especially offensive line for only one year have that ability to be over their body when i when i say over their body meaning like they take a step and most people i think of my days playing you're immediately out of position you're immediately either leaning or you're either too far back on over your own stance so that you can't develop, you can't hit someone or you worse, you end up lunging and you whiff or you wipe out or just don't, you know, you're, you're not effective because you don't have balance. This kid has that. And that's because to me, he looks like a small Ford out in space. And so, you know, of all like the, the kind of the check marks you want on, like if you were to design a player, it's like, man, this kid is going to, has an unbelievable ceiling because of just the physical characteristics he brings. Um, and yeah, so I mean, just, just a really, not just an interesting body, but pretty close to an elite level athlete for his size. And that is, whew, you talk about a high ceiling potential, that's, that's Rod Orr. When, when you say body control, so like I'm thinking Florida State offensive lineman now. <laughs> um, <laughs> So basically he's going to be able, if he's, if he's, if he's taking that first step to run block or taking the first step back to pass block, that means if he's hit right away, he's got stability and he's not going to get pushed over as easily or, or, or he's not going to just fall on his face. Exactly right. And that's, I mean, we can think of at least a few players in the last few years that, would literally execute that type of block, right? Where when you say reach block, a coach means literally trying to reach the defender. Our guys think I'm just trying to reach him and then fall down. Um, so it's that, that he's got that body control, which when you have that kind of balance, you're not to overplay or emphasize this particular trait. When you have balance and he already has the size and he's got also this tenacity, right? That, Atkins clearly has a mindset. I mean, I think it harkens back to like Rick Trickett. I don't know if we can say that on this part, podcast, Rick Trickett. <laughs> Vispel the Demons man's an elite coach. I don't care what anybody says. Um, when you talk about a tenacious kid, you combine that athleticism, that balance, and then a kid who was playing defensive end, his coaches got a hold of him and his dad, and it's like, hey, we think you would have a very – uh, bright career and future uh, playing offensive line. He and his dad talked about it and he switched and all of a sudden like 12 offers started rolling it. And uh, so it's one thing to just kind of switch, you know, one year, but to actually go out and put out some film that's like, you know what, that's, that's really daggone good. In fact, any of the issues I see with him, 
are largely coachable. And that's something, again, if you're, if you're Atkins, if you're any offensive line coach at the college football level, you are dying for someone to say, get me that guy because I can coach him up. You know, as opposed to looking for a tweener. It's like, oh, that guy has the size, but he doesn't have the balance or vice versa, right? Like this guy has stuff where you're like, you know what? Of all the things that are kind of non-negotiable or you can't really build into a player, he's got those. And man, the dude is tenacious, works hard, and is apparently a quick learner. So I, he honestly, this is to me another one in, in a string of offensive linemen that um, have come to FSU in the last year or so. I think back to Brian Estes. We really liked his film going into the last recruiting cycle. And he has that tenacity. He has that body control. He doesn't, I think, you know, he doesn't have the offensive tackle uh, you know, physical characteristics, right? Because he's, that's, you know, not who he is, but as an interior lineman, this same mindset, right, of tenacity, balance, and clearly enough, <laughs> there's enough tools in his, you know, kind of toolbox, he's, he's going to get the job done. But again, there's this emphasis on uh, strong, committed players mentally. And I think that, that right there should breathe a little bit of fresh air into anybody who has perhaps watched the offensive line play from the last three years, where you question some of the mental side and perhaps some of the physical characteristics. Like this, this is a, we're starting to see a culture shift. And I think Rod Orr, I don't want to say, you know, he's responding to that, but whatever is actually, you know, kind of going on at, you know, Atkins level and with Norvell, you're seeing a kind of a workman's approach to playing offensive line, which is what you need. But now you're starting to see that blue chip guy coming in. So it's, this is, uh, you know, we're not, we're not headed to the promised land in one year by pulling this guy, but you know what, this is how you build and continue to build a positive culture and anything related to offensive line at this point, if you can say the phrase positive culture, you're like, yes, sir, that guy, bring him in. And this guy is definitely in line with that. You know, the one thing I was thinking is, you know, the 2022 class is stacked, stacked with offensive tackles that are elite. Um, And and I'm just thinking, what if he comes in, is Florida State going to immediately recruit over him? But you don't worry about that because this is a guy that can actually create the competition that Florida State has been lacking at offensive tackle. So I I don't think he's necessarily going to be recruited over, but he – if you bring somebody in, he's not going to just be walked right. He's not going to just, they're just not going to walk right past him. He's going to actually put up a fight. He's somebody that's going to be fighting for that spot and and not just be a a gap filler. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, short of, you know, something like an injury, this guy absolutely projects as a, as a college starter. I mean, if you look at his uh, recent offers list, you know, we're not the only ones of that opinion. And clearly, you know, Alex Atkins and Norvell are of that opinion as well. Um, but this is a guy that, you know, you can get very excited about. And that's maybe kind of you know, to kind of talk about what does his, you know, I, I love thinking about Lyman in terms of floor and ceiling, because I don't think any other position has, can have such a disparity in the, uh, you know, a three-star, right, offensive lineman, we've kind of learned that that's not a bad pull. That guy could be, you know, very serviceable, can contribute and obviously get drafted. And it's not that unlikely. Um, but we also know that like linemen, like the floor and the ceiling difference can be huge. And this is a guy who has an extremely high ceiling, legitimate blue chip, top end ceiling. Uh, and But I'll also say, guess what? The floor is not too bad either. Um, 
that that means I, in my book, it's like this is a guy I don't want to thrust into a starting lineup or forced position, you know, starts. But this is a guy that's not going to come in here and be lost day one. Um, he comes from a zone blocking scheme. In fact, that's actually some of the highlights included in his huddle film, which is really encouraging that they're showing kind of some technical blocks, right, in terms of him getting out in the space, using his hips and his feet to set a block. And then, man, this watching him in some of his highlights, I encourage people to go check him out. Because this dude, I, I have to wonder if he's got some type of like, wwe like or perhaps like roman greco wrestling because he he starts wrestling guys almost like in a chicken fighting maneuver like he's he's up high because he's so tall right and he's so high cut but he's fighting with the dude and these guys are like get the hell off of me man like this but he's so enormous and he's got such good position as a result of his athleticism that he's really, you know, kind of taking it to, he's, he's not even having to drive block guys off the field, right. To make an impact. He's literally giving you the angle you want off of a zone block. And that, that right there, again, go back to a guy like a Zebra Sanders. Uh, I don't think that's an exact parallel. Zebra was, was a, was a very nice offensive tackle prospect. In fact, probably higher rated if you look at the composite scores, but in terms of that mix of ability to play tackle, but also kind of zone block and make uh, conduct reach blocks. This guy is in that line of being able to um, contribute in that way. So again, I don't like him. I don't want, I never want an offensive lineman to start first year. Like that's, I think rare. You don't really want that. You brought up Landon Dickerson earlier. That's a dude that was like, you know, day one, this guy can just, we can plug and play. Uh, he's got, he's got a floor and a ceiling that are top end. So, you know, if his head's right, you know, put him in. And he really was that for us right when he was healthy. Um, but this guy, like if we can keep him on the bench for a year or two or just keep him in the system, let him continue to grow um, and kind of pick up really the mental side as well as the kind of collaborative ability you need to be able to play with a group of linemen. Man, this guy has a very nice future for us uh, playing offensive line, but specifically playing offensive tackle. Again, r- red alert, right? Like fire like the cannons, like we have a tackle who projects the play tackle for us. That is a great statement. Let's run with it. And just if you're uh, just to remind everybody, we're talking to Rob Hodges from Tomahawk Nation. And we are speaking about Florida State's newest four-star offensive tackle commit, Rod Orr. And also uh, Tomahawk Nation's Juan Montalvo has jumped on with us to uh, talk a little, uh, uh, little Rod Orr. Uh, Rob, let me throw it back to you real quick. Um, what do you feel is the best trait of Orr? I know you talked about his body control earlier. Um, is that his best trait or is there something else that really sticks out from his huddle film? Um, here's, there's no necessarily one demerit or rather one area to focus on and say, you know, well, that's all he needs or he just needs to work in this area. But rather, I think you can point to to me, if you've got all the check marks on the physical side, on the mental ability, like you've, you've, you've got the framework, right, to be able to kind of grow. You've got the lattice there for the vine to kind of grow up here. He's got that. And here's the thing I really would say he's most impressive about him. This dude is a, is a worker. You know, if you go back to like 2007 when we hired Rick Trickett, he's got this fabulous quote about like talking about like, you know, we're going to work hard. If people don't work hard, they're out. And he goes, and people are going to regret when we roll into town. And let me tell you, some of those lines straight up bully. Go back to the 2012 line where we had former boxer Menelik Watson at right tackle. 
just like straight up like accosting people from the right tackle position with almost no experience, but just out there like causing mayhem. Like that was not a, uh, a random event. That was the kind of mindset instilled in kind of the heyday of, of, of Trickett here at FSU. Um, but this guy is a worker. This dude is going to work. He literally switched from defensive end to offensive line, which is, a, by the way, in like the football world, that's like going to the dark side. That's like leaving like, you know, the, the limelight and going to go, I don't know, work in the warehouse. Like it's like, it's a workman's move. So first of all, that should tell you something about his capacity or willingness to kind of like say, you know what, I have a brighter future doing here, even though it might not feel like the thing I you know want to do right now but it is literally going to turn gold for this young man. If he continues on the direction he's going, he will be playing on Saturdays and he will be playing on Sundays. I don't have, I really don't have any doubt on that from talent and ability alone. Uh, but again, I love the tenacity and the uh, willingness to be coached and work hard. Like again, as a coach, I imagine you would just want a guy that's like, man, he's got everything I want and he wants to be here and he wants to take coaching and he's going to employ it. It's like you could you could line up you you could build an entire team off of guys like I think of a guy like Gabe Neighbors, right? Not a lineman, but that dude. All he did wanted to do was play football at Florida State, and that dude's playing in the NFL now. We didn't think of him that highly in terms of athleticism. Just <laughs> don't, to be honest, don't remind me, Rob. <laughs> it, it wasn't just us. It's you know every literal service that had evaluated him as a recruit. I mean, like not on anybody's radar. But that dude has got there's a something to be said for combining some level of ability, physical ability with an elite mindset. And I think Rod Orr has got that mindset. So I am really high on him. Let's protect him. Let's keep him, you know, from having to like start day one and just, you know, take bullets the first day. Instead, let's, let's bring him along. Let's get him some snaps and, you know, maybe even by his red shirt freshman year, this is a guy who's contributing and uh, doing so in a meaningful way. So yeah, pretty high on Rod Orr. Great, great, um, culture statement right when you get a recruit you don't he's not necessarily a bell cow but if you're an offensive line watcher for florida state you're starting to see an upturn in the qual not just the quality in terms of like stars but you're seeing an uptick in the type of player and the tenacity and the mental toughness that you predominantly see with teams perhaps we may have watched before. You think like an Adazio guy, like a guy like Murray Smith was literally an Adazio guy that he was going after him, but Smith's got this, you know, Estes has got this. And now Rod Orr's got this, like there's something, there's something that they're really honing in on now that's coming alive or will come online in the next year or so that we should honestly be excited about. Um. Correct me if I'm wrong here. So feel free to, cause I am not the offensive you know, guru here, I, I, you, you kind of talked about him being a little high waisted and doesn't bend as much and, and coming over from the de defensive side of the ball. Is, is Cam Irving a good comparison, like body type? Because he's kind of slender or am, am I going way off base? Um, so I, I, I probably wouldn't compare him because I obviously think Rod Orr is a lot springier. He was playing defensive end prior to mm -hmm. switching to tackle this past year. And I think Irving was always pretty north of 300. 
um, as a as a defensive player in high school. So he was he was a tackle. I'm pretty sure of that through end of year. He definitely was his first year here, right? Yeah. Um, so he he was an interior guy, and he actually I don't have a picture up, and I'm not necessarily gonna Google you know <laughs> waist or like naked picture or shirtless picture of uh, Cam Irving. I'm not looking right. to put that right. on the search history, but I I don't remember him necessarily being high cut. Um, it's, it's again, kind of a rare trait. It's something you'd see with like a, honestly, a basketball player or a defensive end, somebody where the bending is not as critical as the explosiveness, right? You can get away with, I don't know, different body shapes on defense. Cause if you can fly to the ball or come, you know, fly off the snap, who cares what you look like? You know, like, uh, Nikita Whitlock made a career out of terrorizing the ACC, by being, I don't know, like 5'7 and 285 pounds. I'm, he's going to find me and kill me for that. But I'm telling you, like, not ideal size at all. But that dude had a quickness and the ability to get off the line that nobody could block him. It didn't matter who you were. You couldn't – literally, you'd take a step and he was already around you. So <laughs> this, this guy, he's, he's high cut, but it's – which is, again, usually like a demerit, but not in my book. This dude has the legs. He has the control and the footwork to make you not even think about that. So that's why that's why you're on here, Rob, because I, I make terrible comparisons and you can, <laughs> you can set me on the right path. <laughs> I don't think there's actually a great comparison for him. Only, I mean, in, in terms of like the, the cutness, right? It's not like he's like all legs with a neck on top, right? But he's, <laughs> he's definitely a higher-waisted um, kid than you would normally consider at off the tackle. And the reason, here's my understanding of the reason of that, is that a higher-cut kid has, is um, – from a running perspective, he's a loper, right? He's a long, think of like the long leg strider types that are playing like quarterback or whatever. Like they can be, you know, quite athletic, but they're not always the shiftiest. And that's because to open the hips, to, to drive the legs, to pick them up, change position, there's a lot more relative amount of distance they have to cover to kind of change the kind of the angle there and the, the, where, the speed at which they're going. Whereas guys who are like smaller, can be very quick to change direction, right? It's kind of like the idea behind like a slot receiver. It's guy can be shifty, he can be under six foot because if he's explosive and you know he he can, you know, literally change direction real quick. So that's kind of a knock usually against offensive linemen. Oh, he's long, you know, waisted or whatever, he's high waisted rather, like he's not gonna be able to move his feet. And that's like the that's kind of like the death knell amongst like coaches and analysts is like oh if you're if you're slow-footed man like we for for instance might be familiar with some past linemen at florida university where we would accuse them of being slow-footed and that may not be the knock me that might not be the reason is that they were high-waisted but we have at least have experience with what it looks like um and so guys who are technically you know like higher waisted tend to be you know slower but that's why this guy kind of stands out to me is that he's not slow he's not he is not untwitchy. He's not uh, slow in change of direction. He looks like a small forward out in space. And you think about like kind of the responsibilities you have on the wing or even kind of dropping down into that. I mean, we need to get Rogner on or Matt Minnick to actually use this comparison correctly. But, you know, you think of the, the need for change of direction on the basketball court. This guy's bringing that with him. So I am super high on his ability to continue playing offensive tackle. Yeah, I'm going to let Juan jump in here with a question real quick. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good way to put it, Rob. I mean, he uh, he's not a guy where you're questioning, okay, he's he's that high cut, long, long-legged, you know, he's, he, is he going to be able to move his feet the way you need it? He's pretty well demonstrated that. I mean, he's got a level of athleticism 
I'm not too concerned about the bend. And obviously you're not going to see him go up against, you know, let's say for example, a six, four, six, five type uh, college ready defensive end and in on the schedule, the Gadsden city, Alabama plays. Um, But he, you know, he does play high, but that's something that, you know, he's, he'll, like you said, he's got the mindset and, and I'm sure will, with good coaching, that's a guy that in like his redshirt freshman year, you'll be ready to count on to play, you know, 30, 40 plus snaps a game or more. Yep. Yep. Well said. Rod, um, before we let you go, what can, what can Rod or improve on uh, over the next year or so? So he, the way he, <laughs> the way he engages guys. So first of all, gets off the ball. Well, uses his feet. Well, um, pass set looks okay. Like that's, that's a serviceable, serviceable skill for him. Um, he, the thing he's doing right now, that's kind of funny. I, uh, I see him engaging with guys up high. And again, he does this kind of like chicken fight thing. And what happens is he, he comes off low, hits his guy, which is, you know, textbook, right? They actually have shoot drills where they teach you to it'll fire off, stay low without raising your back or your head. And he does that, but he hits the guy and pops up now. And, uh, it's from a really what it is. It's a lack of core strength that only the really elite and older college guys and NFL guys have, which is after making contact off, you know, let's say that three points of contact, right? You fire off the ball, hit the guy with helmeted hands. Um, there's not, there's in these elite players, the ability to drive block and literally put somebody on their butt. Um, he doesn't have that. Not a demerit, because guess what? Almost nobody has this. That's reserved for like five stars, although, you know, it's reserved for really, it's not a trait you see, especially against good competition, um, but it's not a trait you see amongst linemen. So his thing right now is that he hits and pops up and starts chicken fighting. But you know what? I would ha- rather have a guy that hits, pops up, and fights a guy than hits, pops, and falls down or falls off, or worse, kind of like, you're like, oh, the play's over, All right, whatever. This dude is already just being, he, it's just such a welcome sight to see in a recruit, but also to see in a Florida State offensive tackle recruit, a commitment to finishing the block, a commitment to um, kind of fighting with everything you have. And right now there's not a whole lot of tools in his tool set. He's been off deep. He's been offensive tackle for one year. And that's where I think that's such a, again, if I'm Atkins, I'm like, Ooh, I can work with him. We can, we can develop him. We're going to continue to like, you know, develop out his core strength and his ability to anchor and really drive block. But the stuff that you can't teach is that want to, right? That uh, desire to want to beat your man, not because he's in front of you, but because he's a threat to your offensive players. That is got to, that's exciting to me. I see it again in Brian Estes. I see it in Maury Smith, um, that these guys have that, you know what, we're going to put these dudes on their butts and nobody's, you know, you're not going to hurt our dudes. And uh, I'll take that. I think, uh, offensive, I think uh, FSU offensive line is, is trending up. And uh, people are going to be excited, probably not on their timeline, right? We all want to win tomorrow or next week or whatever. But, you know, the trend direction on the offensive line, talent, culture, and mental ability is trending up. So that makes me happy. You, uh, you kind of talked about his, his tenacity that shows up in the huddle film, and it looks like his mentality to want to give his all and goes every play hard, at least, you know, what we see on film and the Estes shows that and, 
kind of picked that up from Maurice Smith. I, I think that's definitely something that Mike Norvell wants. You know, he's looking for that that mentally strong player, that culture buy-in, and and that's something that I think the current team has to has to kind of flush out a little bit and, and maybe churn some players off the off the roster. And uh, you know, I think it's it's speaks to <clears throat> what Norvell and what Atkins and what this program is looking for in their future players. Yeah, well said. There, we everybody knows there's a culture problem. We we just saw it the other night. There is a widespread culture problem, and there is positional group culture problems. And everybody, I mean, Kirk Herbstreet, whatever, at the, the game broadcast the other night, saying FSU's had problems for eight years offensive line. First of all, no. 2012-2013 were mind-blowingly good lines, like in terms of their run and pass blocking ability. So I'll forgive him for the eight years there. But he's right in saying that the culture has been broken and that the guys that they've run out there are emblematic of kind of this like, oh, well, that's who we can get. And uh, I guess maybe we can teach them a little things or, you know, maybe guys felt like they were hamstrung, right? You know, four offensive line coaches in four years, you know, there's only so much you can do with, you know, kind of the, the, the Play-Doh that you inherit. So I, I get, you know, that's not a knock on anybody who's been here before, but there is now a vision for like, you know what, this is a guy that we can get in here. He's going to work and he's going to be, part of a culture flip. So offensive line, yeah, is going to be trending up on that region. And that's, that's welcome. I don't know if I could say that for other groups. I don't necessarily follow them as hard, but it's cool to see like, Hey, yeah, we're, uh, we're trending up and uh, in, in a very good direction, not just like a slightly above average. It's like, no, man, this is, this is how you get, this is how in four years of this continued approach of this type of players ability mindset and kind of the, Base physical characteristics. When you get these kinds of guys in the door, you end up with a strong unit. You end up with a guy like I remember NC State line back in 2017. Put a couple guys in the NFL. Those were nobodies in the sense of like you go back to the like offensive line drafting, like yeah, a bunch of three stars. I maybe a few of them are four stars, but nobody like overly heralded. But man, they committed and they zone blocked and they worked us that game. I hate to go back and like relitigate, relitigate the past, but they tried to like outside zone us early and we just shut them down. But by the game's end, like they really started to shake us loose. You could tell guys weren't getting, you know, upfield against that zone uh, rush uh, effectively. And it, anyways, that, that was just like, a, there was a culture you saw there. I, I don't know if they have it anymore. It looks like they got some problems, but what Dave Doran had there for a few years there is what I'm seeing uh, Atkins and Norvell building here. And you can get a lot of yardage behind a, a group like that. And you can get a lot of good looks downfield from, for your quarterbacks out of that kind of group. So Rob, I have a question to ask for you. And we're sort of going to switch gears a little bit. Um, but we talked about uh, obviously Maurice Smith. Um, you know, he, he's a guy that has that mentality. Um, you have a couple other guys that we saw uh, freshmen play this this past weekend in garbage time, of course. Um, you saw Robert Scott get a few snaps. You saw uh, Thomas Schrader get a few snaps. I wanted to see what your thoughts were on some of those younger guys that we have in the program already. Uh, so uh, to be completely honest, I was such a broken man by the second quarter that I think whatever – kind of analysis skills I carry with me were just like laid bare and just, I don't know, sacrifice at the altar of a failing program. But uh, <laughs> having said that, um, I, I saw, and, and again, you're going to have to write, we have to say that, Hey, Miami also had their backups in two, but 
I saw um, some guys that were serviceable. Nobody jumped out to me, for instance, as being like, oh, there's your next star. Um, but you can say that the way that Maurice Smith has come in and literally taken over the center position, again, that was a dude that Adazio was all over as a recruit. And when Adazio got fired, I don't know if we stole him before Adazio got fired and left for Colorado State or whatnot, but like, there's a, there's guys like in the recruiting room where you're like, Hey, this dude likes him. I like him. Right. Like it's kind of like a old adage of free scouting university, right. When Jimbo was in on a, a local guy or somebody unheralded, you're like, Oh yeah, Jimbo's gone. him now. Oh, all of a sudden Auburn's in on him. Oh, all of a sudden, you know, you know, half the SEC's in on him. Oh, you know, Johnny come lately. So uh, it's seeing a guy like Maury Smith against the ones and against a guy like a Silver, who's a pretty talented defensive tackle for Miami. Like he's, he has what the other centers don't, right? That's the, it's nice to see him have the things we know that the upperclassmen don't, which is the ability to snap, get to the block, and then hold your own and continue to you know, move your feet, basically not fall off or just kind of somehow get blown away as if you like hit some type of immovable object. Um, so he's, he's got the it, right? Like that's a guy FCU fans should be like, guess what? We got a center for a while and Lord willing, he stays healthy, man. We've got a center for quite a few years based on like just COVID eligibility at this point. But I was really impressed with him continuing to see him just, um, own that position and, uh, it's his going forward and there's, there's really nobody else. Well, that's the nice part about having Mo Smith is like you said, I mean, you know, we, we haven't had a, a for lack of a better way to put it, nailed on center starter that was good that you could count on since Rodney Hudson. I mean, yeah. Cam Irving had the one year where he shifted inside mm. and he played well, but he, you know, he was not, he, he was not intended to be a center for his full career. Um, you know, Brian Stork was a solid player, but obviously Rodney Hudson still in the league for a reason. Um, and, you know, hopefully Mo Smith is a guy that turns out to be like a, like a Hudson. Yeah, in fact, to that point, I'll, I'll go back even a little bit further in the Rick Trick at grab back here, and I'll go back to Ryan McMahon in terms of a guy that was, per, you know, a, listed a three-star, but nobody was heralding as, like, this dude's, like, the next center. Ryan McMahon was one of the most technically proficient linemen we had. He was an interesting guy, got to meet him once in the elevator, but on the field, he was way more than interesting. He was technically exactly what you wanted, and he did it without – the traditional size that you would say, for instance, you'd want out of an offensive lineman, so or at, at the center, especially in today's game. So Mo's kind of like, uh, I mean, I'm not going to say he's senior Ryan McMahon, but he's got that ability and tenacity that I remember with McMahon. But you know, Mo's Mo's not small. <laughs> Mo's not you know this weird body. He's not like a half of a lineman where he's got the size, but not like the athleticism. Like this dude is a projects pretty daggone well into his career in college and you know whatever beyond like yeah he's he is again there's we're seeing the seeds of good culture and some of that fruit starting to come to bear and that should make fsu fans super happy and that's not just atkins right that did that you have to go back even to um uh clement and even before ham crap i'm totally forgetting Thank you, Fry. The, the thousands of offensive line coaches we have between Rick Trickett and today. Um, they, you know, there are some guys in there, and, and that Willie brought in, um, that match the culture you need for a good line. And Mo is that. Uh, he's, he's in line. So Mo, Estes, uh, and now uh, Orr. It's like, ooh, yes, we can do something. We can do a lot of somethings with this. 
Well, Rob, I really appreciate you jumping on with us and sharing your offensive line knowledge. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that one of my all-time favorite offensive line quotes is from you when you said that that, that lineman had helium in his pants. <laughs> if he, uh, he couldn't keep his butt down. So, uh, oh, man. Oh, thank, thank you. I, uh, I remember that play. I'm pretty sure it was Bavion versus Wake Forest. And I believe he took a reach step and the way he got blown backwards, it's like when like a video game glitches and like the physics break down and like, you know, polygons just go flying off the screen and like with inexplicable reasons. And that's what we saw. And that was, that was so disheartening. Cause I'm like, this is a 320 pound center who just defied physics, but not in our favor. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Uh, hope you happy. We never see that again and hoping we don't. And uh, I don't expect it with Rod or Estes and uh, uh, Maury Smith uh, going forward. So things look pretty good. Well, Rob, thanks again so much for jumping on with us. I hope pretty soon, maybe we can talk about another offensive line commit with you. Uh, and, and as always check out Rob on Tomahawk nation. He writes articles, but he's in the, he's in several of our articles in the commenting threads. Um, and always has great insight. Rob, thanks so much, man. My pleasure. Y'all have a great evening. Thanks. Thanks, Rob. Well, we'd like to thank Rob for jumping on and, and giving us that insight. Kevin and Rob, both both great contributors at Tomahawk Nation. Uh, several great writers that we've had on there. I think I was counting it up the other day. We've already had about nine different members of Tomahawk Nation, and there's some other guys that I want to get on here. Um, the Instant Reaction podcast was last night, or probably two nights ago now, if you're listening to it. We recorded it Saturday night. Uh, Juan and Adam Brown, Coach AB on the site, both gave their thoughts independently uh, so they wouldn't influence each other. I, I listened to that this morning while I was waiting for McDonald's breakfast in the drive through so It's about a 20-minute clip. Um, so great, great uh, just raw thoughts coming right out of the game. Uh, but also... Juan is part of the Four Verticals team. Uh, they recorded earlier today. They're going to be releasing their article earlier, early this week. Uh, Juan, can you give us a little preview there? Sure. Yeah, we talked about obviously the FC Miami game. We went into details on you know where where the personnel deficiencies are on both sides of the ball, um, particularly on defense. Um, you know, there's there's areas where there just aren't the aren't the players that you need, particularly at boundary corner. Uh, the a Fox position, especially with Kane Doe out, um, why that three-man front was a good idea and why, you know, man coverage isn't always the answer um, as we, we documented it in a couple of the clips. So feel uh, look forward to that one coming out. It's a good one, um, and that should be coming out in the next day or two. Yeah, Kevin educated me that – educated me on the uh, the man coverage earlier this interview. So uh, yeah, the thing runs a little bit too well for you to try to do that all the time. Yeah, definitely is. Well, Juan, I'm going to ask you, if you don't have it, it's okay. To end the show, do you have an of the week? Yes. So um, what was your biggest disappointment of the week? <laughs> besides, Not FSU Miami related. Besides the Florida State Miami game? Oh, yes. man. Put me on the spot like that. Um, it was uh, My boss was out of town two weeks ago. and. Uh, like everything was just so easy and smooth. And like, I got out at eight hours every day. He comes back and he's a really easy boss to work for, but it was just like all of a sudden I'm working 50 hours again. So uh, I know it's a boring disappointment of the week, but uh, 
adulting is disappointing at times. Oh, I mean, that's, that's life though. Um, uh, and <laughs> along those same strains, uh, as well, work related, uh, the, one of my favorite breweries, I tried to go there on Friday and they didn't have the beer I wanted. And it was an IPA that was coming out and they ran out of it and, you know, didn't have enough to drink for the FSU Miami game because of it. And <laughs> if you ran out of beer after that game, it was a problem. It was a great, it was a game to drown your sorrows. Yep. That's right. Well, thanks so much to all of our guests. Uh, check us out on Twitter. Give us a like and a follow there. We're on Facebook as well. Seminole Rap on both of those. Uh, like us on our, or subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Leave us five stars. Several of you have done that already. Thank you so much on the reviews. Uh, subscribe to us on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this uh, podcast right now. And as always, Juan, that's a that's wrap. That's a wrap. <laughs> All right, Perry, play the music.